Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Garrett. Uh, I just graduated from Sanford this spring. Uh, I help with the preteen and junior high kids here at Cross Creek. So I'm looking at you guys out there. I don't see Cannon and Chalmers this morning, so that's probably good for all of us. <laughs> uh, but uh, as I always say when I'm preaching, uh, you kind of get what you pay for. I'm kind of like uh, if you get, you know, if you want to have a haircut and you pay like $3, you get out of the beauty school and it may or may not be good. That's kind of what you're getting this morning. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be all right. Uh, if not, the door's right over there. So <laughs> thanks for sticking with me. Um, this morning, we're continuing out of Second Samuel. Uh, we're in chapter 22 this morning. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us this morning, we've been in Second Samuel for quite a while, the whole time I've been at Cross Creek, which I guess isn't really that long. But um, we are continuing with Second Samuel. We've been following the story of uh, David and his rise and fall and rise again, return to Jerusalem. Uh, this morning, uh, as we get near the end of the book, we see uh, we kind of leave this trajectory that we've been following. We've been going week after week through the same story, and then at the end of the book here, kind of goes and ditches the whole uh, chronological thing and just starts throwing in some stuff from the life of David. We kind of get the highlight reel. So this morning, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, we get David's song of deliverance, basically David's anthem, his fight song. Uh, it says that he would sing this or play this or pray this, however you want to think about that, um, after a great battle, after victory. Uh, so this is something that comes uh, multiple times in his life. I'm going to skip around a little bit in it, uh, but if you'll read along with me, starting in uh, chapter 22, verse 1. And David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord, who's worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my, in my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I called, from his temple he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. Skipping ahead to verse 17. He sent me from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. And have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely, and with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against the troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. For the Lord, the, way, the word of the Lord proves true. 
He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Skipping ahead to verse 47. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I'll praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. Uh, Please join with me. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning to open up this passage, open up uh, the song of David, I ask that you would just remove my words, uh, that you would remove my thoughts and fill uh, fill this room instead with your thoughts, uh, that your spirit would just uh, come into the text and just speak to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we get David's fight song. Now, when I say fight song, we're in football country here. Everybody thinks of either, you know, one or two things, probably Alabama or Auburn. And for me, growing up in Tennessee, I actually grew up an Alabama fan, which is great. Roll Tide. Or if you're of the other persuasion, then I'm sure there's another church where you can find a good home. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Um. But I grew up as an Alabama fan, and uh, as my mom and dad are here, they know. I was a drum major in high school. I got to direct the marching band. And our football team was great. We won a lot. We won a state championship my junior year. Um, And our fight song, unfortunately enough, was basically War Eagle. So that was rough. Yeah. Every time we got a touchdown, every time we got an extra point, basically all the time, I was sitting there, all right, let's go, War Eagle. And it just went over and over and over again. And we scored a lot. And it was rough. Uh, But like any fight song, uh, it has a refrain. Here in uh, this chapter, we get kind of a refrain. Just as War Eagle, bum, 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 bum. Is that the right one? Yeah. Yeah. Just as it has a refrain, uh, we get a refrain here with David. Uh, He says the same thing multiple times. Uh, He says it four separate times. Um, and it basically talks about God as his rock. Now, this morning, as we look at the passage, we're going to be asking one kind of big question, and hopefully we'll get a decent answer. If David is truly this man after God's own heart, as we hear throughout the Bible, that David is a man after God's own heart. Um, what does that mean? What is David's heart? That's a really ambiguous statement that he's a man after God's own heart. And so we get David's fight song, his inner mantra. You know, some of us have like a prayer verse. Or a verse that's your life verse. Well, this is David's sort of little passage here, his go-to after a great victory. And so what is at the heart of this passage? What is the point? What does David's heart long for? And so we get the refrain. It starts with it in verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He continues that metaphor in verse um, 8 through 16, uh, God is compared basically to a volcano there. He's this big rock spewing forth fire and flame, this big foundation. In verse 32, he says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Again, we see David comparing God to a rock. Often we think of God as a lot of things, you know, a savior, a king, a lion. Uh, I don't often think of God as a rock. When I think about a rock, it doesn't seem like the most exciting thing in the world. 
I spent the last two summers out in national parks, and it was wonderful, uh, especially getting to lead worship there and preach out there. And this metaphor would make a lot more sense in a national park, you know, in Sequoia with a huge canyon looming behind you, seeing this big rock, this big rock wall like in Yosemite. Uh, but here in Alabama, sometimes it's kind of hard to picture that big cliff face, that big rock. But Israel, I haven't gotten the chance to go. But from all the pictures I've ever seen, it's a very, very rocky place. And so for David, comparing God to a rock, this is kind of like comparing him to red clay in Alabama. There's a lot of it. It doesn't seem that special at first. And yet in verse 47, he says again, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. So we see David is comparing God repeatedly to a rock here. So what does this mean? Well, at first, again, when I start thinking about David's fight song and rocks and rocky places, unfortunately, in my mind comes Rocky Top. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. I certainly hope not. Um, But uh, just like Rocky Top, uh, Jerusalem was a high city, a walled city, especially at the time of David. It's this city up on a rock. We learned, if you remember earlier in 2 Samuel, about David taking Jerusalem and taking, uh, taking that for Saul, actually, at the time. But if you learned about David taking power, taking control of Jerusalem, uh, what was so spectacular about that is that it's up high on a rock. It's surrounded by these great walls. He had to climb this mighty fortress, and he blocked off their water supply, and that's how he was able to take it. But for David, what's so important about that is that he takes the fortress and it becomes his. It becomes his home. Uh, If we look back at the life of David, we see rocks are important throughout it. Uh, When you say David, you automatically think David and Goliath. Uh, And what does he kill Goliath with? A couple little rocks. There's a point here, hopefully. Uh, We also think about David with Saul uh, when he's hiding, when he's forced out of it, when he's not quite king yet. Where does he go to hide? In the caves, in the rocks, in the desert. And this whole time, David is running. He's running from Saul. He's running from his own destruction. And he's searching for his kingdom, trying to come into his own, trying to come into what God has said, you know, this is going to be yours. And he's seeking this foundation, this home, this fortress. And so it rings even truer when we think about David singing, saying, this is my rock, my fortress, my sanctuary, my redemption. Uh, Because this is a man who spent a lot of his life out in the wilderness with sheep, uh, running from kings, looking and hoping for something that could be as firm, as stable as a rock. And so, although we don't often think about God as a rock, maybe I don't at least, uh, for David, at the heart of his idea of God is God as a foundation. God is something that, when we do look around, the world seems like it's turning upside down, there's riots, people, there's bombings, People in our congregation are sick and hurt. Uh, God is that rock. He is that foundation. And so we see also uh, in the church several other rock metaphors. We see Peter, a man who is supposed to emulate God. He's supposed to emulate David. And of course, what is Peter named after? Well, he's named after a rock. Uh, His name in Aramaic is Cephas. Or something very similar to that, which again, Cephas in Aramaic means rock and Peter is Petrus is the Greek for that. Um, And he says, John, uh, Christ says to to, uh, Peter in John chapter one, verse 42, you're Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter, which in the early translation would basically say you're going to be called Cephas. It means rock. 
You're going to be the rock of my church. And so as we see Peter, uh, probably one of the greatest early church fathers, the rock of the church, he's compared to a rock as well. And again, at first glance, seems to me to be, why is this so important? This seems like a really mundane thing to compare God to. But it's not. It's, uh, it's actually quite important. And I think one of the most forgotten metaphors, uh, forgotten ways to visualize God. We sort of think about him up in, the, up in the sky. We often don't think about God as down on the ground, our foundation, our viewpoint. So that's, that's our first main point, is that God is a rock. He is our, our fortress, our rock, and our deliverer. And that definitely holds true for David. Uh, even if we just think about the song we just sang, Christ the solid rock, I stand. Uh, It's pervasive throughout our church, and yet not something we often think about. Uh, If we think about Christ as a rock and God as true and perfect and just, we learn in verse 31, he says, I think I really like the way he says it. He says, this God, this God, my God, his way is perfect. And that's a strong statement. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Um, God, as we know him, does not often seem perfect. He seems perfect, but the world that he's made sometimes seems kind of broken, seems kind of messed up. And we see David, uh, he's going to get into this here and talk about his own righteousness and how he feels like he's done everything right. Uh, This is certainly the words of a young David, and I don't know that I could ever really relate to these. These are kind of the words that in any psalm, uh, because this is the same as Psalm 18, it's the same text, basically. Uh, In any psalm, It's hard for me to relate to these words, uh, as we see in verse 21 through 25, I'm going to read those again, uh, where it basically says, I've got everything right. I'm doing it the right way. It says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I've kept the ways of the Lord and haven't wickedly departed from my God for all his rules were before me. And from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. That's a bold statement. I don't know that I could ever say that. I, don't, I know I definitely couldn't. Hopefully I haven't. Uh, I was blameless before God. I had no guilt before God. Uh, those are striking and bold words that only a man truly after God's own heart could probably ever utter. Uh, I don't understand how to relate to those that well. Uh, And for me, that's one of the big challenges in reading the Psalms, because we get a lot of this, a lot of David or the psalmist saying, God, look at me, I'm I'm pure, I'm doing everything right, why is it going wrong? And that certainly is something I can relate to. But at the same time, uh, who can look at God and say, I got it right, why are you doing it wrong, man? Like, I feel like I'm messed up, I can't really say that and be honest with myself. Um, And yet we look at David, a man after God's own heart. He's able to say this. Um, And we think back to David and the covenant that he's made with God. It's called the Davidic covenant. We talked about it earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David, after uh, following God's rules, after living in God's ways, after doing what God wanted him to do, he finds Jerusalem. He finds rest. He has a home. He says, I have a house of cedar. I have this big, nice house. And yet God's living in a tent. Well, let's build God a house. It seems like a good idea, right? You know, I've got a house. God doesn't. Let's get him one. And so he talks to Nathan about this. And uh, Nathan's like, "Okay, yeah, I guess so. And then God comes and speaks to him. And he says, he says, uh, speaking basically to David, he says, I'll give you rest from all your enemies. 
Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise you up and your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. So here we get David saying, OK, God, I've got a house. I've got a kingdom. I'm the king. I'm doing well. I followed your rules. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, he's singing this song saying, I've got everything right. Let's see what I can do for you. How can I help you, God? I'm going to build you a temple. And what does God say? Well, he basically says, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, your son's going to do that. But I will make you a house. What does he mean by that? He says, I'm going to make you a dynasty. Uh, and so he's promising a dynasty to David. He makes this covenant with him. And we, of course, now look at this and see like, oh, the line of David's going to continue. Your, you know, your offspring is going to spring up. Oh, that means Jesus. OK, great. Duh. Well, for David, that's pretty hard to see. Uh, he doesn't quite get that for him. If you hear, um, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. Well, David's, of course, thinking this means my son, my firstborn son. He's going to be the king. He's going to have this great line from him. This dynasty will come. And that doesn't quite work out the way David thinks, uh, because David's promised this dynasty. He's promised this dynasty. And he thinks, I mean, I think as any natural father would. Yeah, obviously, my son's going to do this. And for him, that probably took the form of thinking my firstborn son's going to do this. Well, for those of you who weren't here or forgotten, uh, the firstborn son of David, things didn't work out so well for him. His name was Absalom. He's the one who rebelled, the one who messed up so badly with his sister, the one who um, set himself up as a false judge in Jerusalem and not only lied to David's subjects, but then rebelled and actually expelled David from Jerusalem. And why is this coming? Why, why does this happen to David? Why does this seeming this tragedy come? Well, if we look at the passage, it's uh, back in Second Samuel 22, it's kind of comes around, it's obvious that this is going to happen. Uh, he says in 22 verse, or verse 26, sorry, uh, with the merciful you show yourself merciful, with the blameless you show yourself blameless, purified you deal purely, and the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. With the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. And so with David here, as we've covered in the last couple of months, um, he messes up. He messes up big time. He messes up with Bathsheba. He stays home. He messes up with parenting of Absalom. He messes up in following God's commandments. He messes up and he goes off from God's plan. And uh, this is how I think the only way to understand these Psalms where it says like, okay, well, I'm going to do everything right. Why isn't it working for me? And then we're like, okay, God, well, there's evil in the world. I've done it. It seems like I'm following you. Why are bad things happening? Well, in some sense, uh, just as... Um, was said up here a couple weeks ago, you know, not everything that bad that happens comes because you did something wrong. But certainly God can uh, rebuke us. He can punish us. And with David here, David's made a promise. He's made a covenant. He said, I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your guy. I'm going to bear your standard, God. And then what has he done? He's messed up. Well, unfortunately for David, there were serious, serious consequences for that. Among other things, Absalom rebelled. Absalom ran away. And in the final battle to bring Absalom back, he perished. He died. And when David found out about this, just as uh, Brandon talked about a couple weeks ago, he, he has this lament. It says he weeps, he weeps, he screams, he cries, he yells, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I have died 
instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. When David, this king, who he thinks he believes in God, he believes that I've been promised my offspring is going to have this dynasty. I've been promised that, you know, I wanted to build God a house and he said he's going to build me a dynasty. I've been promised that I'm going to be the successful king. And yet the one who I thought was going to carry on my line, my firstborn son, is dead. And he's sitting there and he's just wracked in grief. And yet we know from the intro of this passage that this is one of those songs that he would sing after every victory. And so even after Absalom died, uh, on the march back to Jerusalem, when, J- when David is retaking the throne, he would have been singing this. He would have been praying this. Praying through these words that he had written and composed as a young man in his early victories over Goliath. Singing them now as an old man. And you've got to think, when he reads back through, you know, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. And he's thinking, these hands, like he's done bad things now, and he's been dealt with. Uh, That's a a scary message for me sometimes when we think about God um, and our sins coming back to bite us. They certainly do for David. Uh, And it's not a very happy message, Um, but it is one of justice because God is just. Um, And that is really at the heart of this song. So we learned first that God is a rock for David. We learned secondly that God is just and true for David. Even in the stronger, less happy ways, he comes back and he he doesn't just bend his rules to see fit. The law applies to David as well. And uh, unfortunately, that means the death of David's son. But even in this, uh, we get uh, the ultimate heart of the psalm, the heart of this, is that David praises God. It doesn't just end with David saying, okay, I did everything right. Oh, no, I messed up. Ah, dang it. Like, that's not the psalm. Luckily, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Uh, We get David praising God. Uh, If we remember from, you know, like good Presbyterians, we remember the Westminster Shorter Shorter Catechism. The first question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I know that's like 102 questions ago on Sunday morning, so that might be a while. Uh, but that is uh, what we believe, that our chief end, our chief goal is to enjoy God, uh, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And uh, we get that again in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, a man comes and asks Jesus, he says, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the most important thing? Now, of course, this guy that's asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He's, he means, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? What's the most important thing out of the entire Old Testament? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So as we look at this, we look at David's psalm here. We have on one hand this song of Rejoicing, the song of victory. And then we have God saying, well, the most important thing there is in the whole Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's easy now to see, if we look at it through that lens, that David is actually just praising and loving God. Uh, at the heart of this psalm, at the heart, at the beginning and the middle and the end, is him saying again and again, my God, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, and whom I take refuge, my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge. Uh, he's saying again and again and again that he loves God, that he's seeking after God. Uh, at the heart of David is this man who seeks to have the sacrificial love. 
Uh, just like God, I'm sure you've heard it before, uh, but he sent his son. He sent Christ to come for us and he died for our sins. David has that same heart, that same heart of Christ. When Absalom dies, what does David say? Oh, man, why'd you kill him? Well, he does say that, but he says more than that. He says, you know, I wish I could have died for him. And at the heart of that is David copying God's own heart for us because God did send his son. He did die for us. At the base of David's heart is him, the sacrificial love, wanting to come and love for us and die for us. Um, I'm reminded of this, of David uh, looking at God and saying, I rely on you. I choose to put my hope in you in the good and the bad. I'm reminded of the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, You may or may not be familiar with the story of Horatio Spafford, but he was a successful lawyer in Chicago in the middle of the 1800s. He made a whole lot of money. He did well for himself, and he invested in some land in Chicago. He bought a bunch of up-and-coming neighborhoods, a bunch of developments. I don't know if they were as nice as Ross Bridge, but, you know. Uh, And in the middle of these developments, he he invested, basically all of his wealth was there. Uh, And as you may know, in around 1871, I believe, in Chicago, there was the Great Chicago Fire. And the part of town that it burned down was basically everything Horatio Spafford owned. And he lost all that he owned. And he had just a very little left. And so he kept practicing as a lawyer and he said, I'm going to move, take my family and go to Europe. We're going to go and we're going to start over again. We're leaving. We've lost everything. So he has a wife and four daughters and they have their tickets to go and sail across the ocean to Europe. And so they get on the boat and at the last minute he gets held up on business. And he says, OK, I'll get the next boat over. You guys go ahead and head to Europe. So his daughter or his wife and his four daughters get on the boat and in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, they actually have a shipwreck and uh, only out of a couple hundred passengers, only 27 survive. Uh, and so he hears about this and he's anxiously waiting, hoping to get news that his family is all right. And he gets a telegram from his wife, two words, and it says saved alone. He lost all four of his daughters in the wreck. Uh, just like David, he had the loss of a child early on in life. Um, And just like David, uh, David has this loss, and yet what does he do? He continues to love God. He continues to find his foundation in God. Uh, Through the thick and thin, David says, my God, this is my rock, my foundation. Repeating that over and over again, because that's what David does. He just repeats it. He says, my God, my rock. Well, Horatio Spafford, uh, he he takes the next boat over to meet his wife over in Europe. And... When he's out on the water, this is the way the story goes, when he's out and they're at the place where his daughters died, where the ship wrecked, uh, he asked the captain to stop the boat and he penned down a couple lines. Uh, There are a couple lines, I'm sure you'll recognize them. Uh, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Uh, And of course we got one of the most prolific hymns there is. This song, this refrain of saying, it is well. I'm going to choose to do everything to God's glory. I'm going to choose to love him no matter what, um, regardless of loss and pain. And that's what's at the heart of the psalm here, I think. What's at the heart of David uh, is David choosing to say in the thick and thin through when, you know, I feel rightfully anointed and then I'm chased all over my own country. When I... uh, choose to serve God and then I lose a battle 
when he messes up, and he, he messes up real bad, and he loses his son. Uh, when he's reinstated as king through the thick and thin, he says, my God is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Uh, just as Horatio Spafford saying, it is well. I'm going to choose to love God no matter what. Uh, and we, So I'm going to close with the end of the passage here, because he says that just again. Uh, verse 50. Uh, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So for David, writing this at first, thinking, oh, my offspring, that's automatically going to be my firstborn. Uh, I'm going to live on forever. Going through the heartbreak of losing his, off, losing his firstborn son. Uh, yeah, he still comes back. And you've got to think about him writing this as a young man. He writes this song, you know, it's this great song of victory. And then he sings it again in the middle of his life when he's become king. And then he sings it again as he's in the middle later as an older man when he, through his battles. And then as an old man, he sings this when his son rebels. And then he's singing this here at the end of Second Samuel. It's sounding at the end, right before his last words. Uh, that David, this man after God's own heart, uh, repeatedly said, you know, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that beyond my life, beyond uh, what I've done right or what I've done wrong, uh, you're going to make it right. Uh, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that... Though we may sin, though we may fall, though our hands are not clean and blameless, just as David's were not, uh, though we are broken, though things do happen, that you are there with us no matter what, God, that, that you love us no matter what, that uh, we are your children, and that just like David saying, I wish I could have died for my child, that you, God, you did die for us. You did send your son uh, to sacri- who sacrificed himself, God, for us. I thank you for your love and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.